Good evening, fellow teens, and welcome to Slow Motion Triple Feature, a podcast in which three friends watch three movies over the course of three weeks. Each month, a different friend will select a different triple feature for their friends to enjoy and discuss. Slow Motion Triple Feature is one of the many fine podcasts brought to you by the American Friend Institute. I am your host, Mike Keller, and I am joined today by my good friend, Kit, and only my good friend, Kit. Uh, Andrew was busy, and so we decided we would just do a one-off triple of movies that might not interest him. Uh, and together we selected a, uh, I guess a Disney channel, original movie, triple feature. Is that what this is? Would you say? Yeah. yeah. No other, no other theme other than just, uh, they are Disney channel originals from the, I guess, mid nineties to the early O's. So, uh, yes. And also this is called a tuple, a tuple. Yes. Not a duo, not a duo triple. It is a tuple. Um, and we hope it will, it will possibly become a semi-regular thing. If one of us is busy or if Mike and Andrew want to watch a grown-up movie, um, you know, stuff yeah. like that. We've talked about before doing, like, um, horror, horror movies. Like, I talked to him a while ago about doing, like, going all the way through a franchise, like he did with Cody in The Fast and the Furious. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess, did Jeff do that with him? Oh, either way. Um, but, uh, yeah, so maybe we'll get some scary movies in that way, some gorier stuff. Um but yes, so it is a tuple with two of us, but it will also be a triple. Uh, we're three right. movies. Uh, but tonight we're starting with the Disney Channel original movie, uh, 1996's film Wish Upon a Star, directed by Blair True and starring Katherine Heigl and Danielle Harris. Uh, so, Kit, had you seen this one before? I've seen this movie <laughs> probably 50 times. Okay. Um I think for years I've been telling Mike to watch it because Katherine Heigl is hot in a very and dressed in a very specific way <laughs> that Mike and I both enjoy, uh-huh. maybe for s- slightly different reasons. Um, but this is a huge staple of my childhood. Um, and I haven't watched it in several years. But I am happy to report that for me, it still really holds up. Good. Yeah, I enjoyed yeah. it quite a bit. Um, but yeah, and I'm glad that so one of your childhood favorites that you'll now get to watch it uh, and discuss it with an old pervert. So that'll be fun yeah. for you. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. And it's interesting because, I mean, I feel like maybe some people, um, like if we were to uh, fantasize for a moment that we have an audience, I think some people might disagree with even the classification of this as a Disney Channel original movie because it's very much not right. in the like um same vein of the other movies we're going to watch. This seems to me, I don't know for sure, but this certainly seems to me to have been conceived as a theatrical release, um, capitalizing probably on the success of Clueless, maybe Parent Trap. Um, although I don't know if that had come out yet. I don't remember when that um, one came out. The old Lindsay Lohan one? Yeah, um, and it it doesn't, you know, there are kind of like sex is a theme of it. Uh, breasts are referenced. Um, it's not nearly as like kooky or zany as most Disney Channel original movies. Um, and it's just of like a much higher quality, I would argue. Yeah. There's yeah, like a and like, real band in it. There's a score, that, you know. And what a band. Moon Pools and Caterpillars. <laughs> I still listen to them all the time. <laughs> yeah. You know, that song uh, here from the end credits mm-hmm. of the movie, I think they play it in the 
beginning as well. well. At the beginning, okay. Uh, I I don't know if you put that on a mix for me like a long time ago. Very possibly. So, but like my (laughs) note on it was, I'm not sure if I've ever actually heard this song, but I feel like I have heard it a thousand times. Like there's something very 90s kind of alt pop radio. I was thinking about how the that like yodely thing uh, was so popular. Yeah. In that era, like laid comes to mind yeah. um, from like and and it's, I was you know, I was sitting here. I don't think Lee's ever heard it before unless he's heard me play it. But he was watching the movie with me and I was just like, this is such a good. It's such a good song. It's got it a really great is. bridge. Great chorus. She's awesome. The band's really good. It They're great. Yeah. Yeah, it was. Uh, it kind of reminded me of. Oh gosh, uh, I don't remember what it's called. It's it's dun 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 It's like I won't figure out dun dun. You know what I'm talking about? Fuck. Anyways, but it's yeah, like what the like the the girl rock kind of stuff, like from the '90s. I miss that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I got it. It's Letters to Cleo. Ah, uh, yes. Uh, I don't remember what the song is called, but I think that was the band's name. She sounds kind of like Letters to Cleo, doesn't she? Uh, to me, she it brought like that, that song gal? to mind. Like when I was yeah. trying to figure out if I had heard this before, that's that's what I came to mind. But uh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. So, Sorry, anyhow, it is a good song. Letters to Cleo. I might have to look that's into uh, Moon Pools and Caterpillars. Uh, you know, albums or something. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, I I guess I, just, I have notes and then I have like a blurb I wrote. Uh, oh, no, I guess on, on what you were talking about. The uh, I didn't I didn't get too deep into looking into it, but it does feel like the Disney Channel didn't quite have their production apparatus to where it was mm-hmm. by like ninety nine, two thousand. And so this was like not an in-house Disney production, but something maybe they bought from another, you know, right. company and then distributed on their channel or whatever. But as far as I saw, it never had a theatrical release of any kind or anything like that. It was always on the Disney Channel. So, um, uh, but yeah, so like I was saying, I have I have stray notes, and then I have a blurb that's not really about the movie so much as is about how the movie made me feel. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I don't know. Is there anywhere you want to jump in discussing it? You want to just go down? I mean, yeah. All I can think of is, you know, I have I have my notes in like chronological order of the film, you know? Yeah, we can just um, yeah, go through. You just go through them. Sure. Um, OK, so I, this the boyfriend in this movie, Kyle, I don't know his name. Uh, yeah, um, I think it's Kyle. He is played by Donnie Jeffcoat. Yes. Sarah looks who I. <laughs> I think this is the first time I've realized that. I saw his name pop up in the credits. It feels impossible that I'd never noticed that before, but I think this well, is now, the first time. Yes. For the audience at home, who the hell is Donnie Jeffcoat? <laughs> I, I thought you might wonder. So Donnie Jeffcoat, um, in early Nick days, like before this movie, early 90s, was the host of a show called Wild and Crazy Kids. Oh, yeah. I believe. Okay. And it was, which was co-hosted by Omar Gooding, who is Cuba Gooding Jr.'s brother, and then one or two girls. And Sid and I watched that all the time. It was just like, it was a show of just, 
kids in a field in different colored t-shirts doing like kickball or water balloon games right. and stuff and you know hosted by teens and i think he always stuck i stuck out to me one i have like a positive association with him because of that show but the name donnie jeffcoat as a child is like that's like the most memorable name i've ever heard <laughs> yeah <laughs> so like so, so i watched this with yeah. sarah and she had mm -hmm. a, she watched this i guess when she was younger and she had a bit of a crush on old donnie jeffcoat so she looked he's him very up. cute yeah and then while we were watching the movie she was telling me stuff he had been in but i was yeah i, didn't, I was i can only listen to one thing at once so i tuned some of that out <laughs> classic man um yeah. he's yeah he's he i actually think i have more of a crush on him from his persona on wild and crazy kids yeah um than being like the thrice jilted lover of Catherine Heigl <laughs> in this movie um but he's but yes he's very cute and and cool and I loved when the really weird like savage Steve Holland moment where his picture changed yeah to a freaked out face yeah <laughs> that was very funny um yeah he's very good in this movie I remember thinking as a kid this kind of maybe jumps forward a little bit in the movie but I remember as a child watching this and thinking that he and Katherine Heigl had like a more mature relationship than I'd like ever seen in a movie like this hmm. where like he likes her better when she's not like wearing tons of makeup they like they actually like each other you know and the fact that like she doesn't want to break up with him but she's gonna do it because of this stupid rule they just seemed like <laughs> they had like adult conversations um and i just i don't know i just remember thinking like oh that's a real relationship like yeah. that's what i thought when i was a child that's yeah. what it's all about yeah um interesting i guess should we do a quick <clears throat> summary for people who maybe have not seen the film i feel like this is one that sure you know, oh I yeah think, that's true i can see somebody like downloading this to be like sure let's give it a listen but maybe they haven't uh uh, sure. Seen the film. Okay. Do you want to summarize? Or sure. Me too? Okay. So this movie is a body swap movie, classic body swap movie, um, where there are two sisters seem to be fairly affluent. Both their parents are psychologist, psychologists or psychiatrists or something. Um, and they, the, the older sister is very, uh, popular and beautiful. And the younger sister is very smart but you know grungy skater and the little sister wishes to be her older sister it works it's on a star that she wishes that that's the handsome <laughs> movie's title um it works they switch places they go through the trials and tribulations of being in one another's body and at the end they switch back and uh having grown closer as sisters in the process yes yeah, um, very good summary yes and there is a third late third act twist that I think works extremely well uh, in the film and the, really uh, adds to the, the emotion. The fact that they had both made the same wish. Is that? Yes. yes the okay. fact that they you know, both made the same wish. I know that this is a film for children, <laughs> but I called that twist when I, when uh, they kind of cut to her meaningfully <laughs> when she was in the, the hot, hot tub. tub. Yeah. 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 Um, but, you, but they go, but it's so much movie passes between those two moments that right. I do think you kind of forget like, Oh yeah, that's why it didn't work. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, I think I, I to that end, I really like that they first of all, they don't make the little sister ugly with gla by using glasses and a ponytail. Like, <laughs> yeah. That was cool. Um, 
they and they also she's smart but she's also gross which i thought was like an interesting twist on the like you know she she's she's not like a goody two-shoes in the sense that she like you know dresses like an adult and um has no flaws aside from like being anal retentive like she's actually kind of a slob and um the thing that she has like they do a good job of showing like hey the 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 shallow sister also has things has qualities that would benefit the younger sister aside from popularity just Mm -hmm. like caring about how she presents herself and like um being able to speak confidently um uh, you know about things like it's i just thought that was an interesting twist on like smart girl versus dumb girl you know (laughs) yeah i agree i like that about it i actually i felt like the whole movie uh both character and plot wise or i guess story wise like was more carefully thought out than i was expecting totally um and i liked how moving away from character slightly but i guess this was still pretty much but it was it was so the first day they're kind of figuring it out and having fun with it this body swap so you know Catherine Heigl's, you know, soul inhabiting Daniel Harris is like, you know, struggling with this, her uh, kind of demotion and popularity. But she's like just having a blast with eating whatever she wants because she doesn't have mm-hmm. to worry about mis- being Miss Perfect or something. Uh, and then, you know, Daniel Harris is just enjoying being in her sister's body. Uh, mm-hmm. And then, yeah, the second day. So they go from, let's see, the first day they're having fun with an experimenting. I think the second day is like sabotage day. Yes. Uh, so yeah. Um, and then the third day is like kind of, you know, how can we help each other? And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, then they come together and make the, yeah. When it's, it's, I don't know that it was like bold territory for a body swap movie or something, but I was just like, this is a lot smarter than I, uh, or even just a lot better planned than I thought it would be. It didn't feel like I they, totally agree. Yeah. I think the plot is very clean and straightforward. Mm-hmm. With the possible exception of the number of times that Donnie Jeffcoat gets broken up with. Right. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but it, it's, yeah, everything's everything's very neat. There's cl- very clear, like, stages in the progression of it. And I think along with that plotting, the emotional journey, I find, extremely effective. Um Yeah. There are little moments like on the third day when they start helping each other, like there's moments for both of them where they're like, you heard her like they're like they're in the same class. And like the dumb sister is like, I'd like to try solving the problem. And then the other sister who actually is the dumb sister (laughs) is like, you heard. But you see how I don't know. I mean, I have a little sister. Um, And it's interesting. Sidebar. The girl who daniel what's her name uh harris. daniel harris mm-hmm. daniel harris is older than katherine heigl yes in this movie that was one of my but, one of my little <laughs> tidbits at the end but a foot and a half shorter yeah. which also also sidebar to the sidebar the height difference more body swap movies should play with that kind of physicality because it really first of all you associate tallness with being the older one yeah. so i think it helps underline like subtly remind the audience of like the different stages that they're at and helps make the comedy of them switching funnier. And then just 
it's funny to see someone who's must be under five feet and then someone who's definitely over six feet with heels yeah. like towering over her. And it's like, it's actually the little sister. It just, it really adds a lot anyway. Um, but I have a little sister who is sort of the older sister in certain ways, but then in other ways, like I'm very much the older sister, I think. And I do think that this movie like has something to say about sisters and like the moments in the movie where they're they start working together and they can in pretty unique ways I think support each other in achieving their different goals because you know they're in the school together they're they're around each other a lot not just at home and it's like it it kind of rings very true and I'll I'll be honest from from the first time I saw this movie, it always makes me cry when she puts the crown on her, on her sister. <laughs> and I was like, and I was like, I wonder if that'll happen this time. And it totally <laughs> did. Like the end of the movie is so sweet. And like that they're both dancing with these guys and they're both very happy, particularly the little sister. You can just like see how thrilled she is to like be dancing with the boy, but it's really like a moment between the two of them. And I think it's like, it's a really good little, you know, they both change, but not completely. Like they don't have to give up their original personalities. They learn to appreciate each other while also seeing like more possibility for themselves. Um, they help each other achieve, you know, <laughs> dreams that they didn't really acknowledge that they even had, you know, at the start of the movie. Mm -hmm. um, and it's just like, it's a, it's a, for a, it's a really good body swap movie, I think. It is. It was it was much better than I expected, and I would say just even a good movie. Like, um, probably right. not going to win any awards, especially you know twenty four years after or twenty five years after the fact. But <laughs> yeah. uh, but I enjoyed it quite a bit. Although yeah. one thing I was going to ask you. Well, there's actually a couple things I was going to ask you. Uh, what do you think is going on in Simon's head? So he's their neighbor with the kind of floppy haircut. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Who, With the exact same haircut and color both sisters have as well. <laughs> true, yeah. I didn't even really <laughs> notice that. Um, so, like, he initially he has, a, like, just an instant crush on Daniel Harris before the swap. Mm -hmm. And then post-swap, he is so in love with her soul that he his love carries over into Catherine Heigl. And he actually goes so far as to kiss her, even though he seems like kind of maybe a, maybe a dopey kind of boy. Um, so, uh I don't know. I thought that was interesting. Not that you would have I an think, answer for it, but <laughs> it seems really funny to me when he, when he's saying to Catherine Heigl, like when she's like, <laughs> when she because she is is Haley, she's like, wait a minute, you were attracted to Haley, and then he goes, yes, but it's what what's on the inside right. that matters, and it's just funny that he's saying that to Catherine Heigl, who's yeah. like so obviously a babe yeah. <laughs> um and it's such like a like that would be such a like mean <laughs> thing to really say to a girl yeah i guess it i guess it sort of um he delivers on that i suppose it, what he's saying is apparently true when he's like yeah but i'm attracted to the personality not the looks and hence if you tell me she's the one with the good personality then sure i'll give that a shot yeah and he's not like like we don't linger obviously it cuts away when she's like i think you might have misjudged Haley. Like, I wonder how did he react to that? Was he like devastated? Because he's still getting rejected, technically. Right. Um. Well, but yeah, he's, by the he's end, an interesting they guy. Get together, if I recall. 
don't they? Yes, but he's been rejected by but he's been rejected by Catherine Heigl. Right. He thinks because she's still saying like I mean if you go up to a girl and you're like, hey, uh, are you and you kiss her and you're like I really like you, um, and then she goes I think you should try to date my sister instead. Right. I don't think that makes you feel great. Yeah. <laughs> You know, although Simon seems very just perceptive, Mature. like maybe yeah. he just somehow sensed that Haley had become uh, or had returned to her original self or something. But yes. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I just thought it was funny, particularly the scene in the Jeep where they kiss. I was just right. like, what is this kid thinking? <laughs> and also like got some some uh, some balls on him. You know, Catherine Heigl is uh, yeah. an intimidating presence, I would imagine, for, you know, yeah. for Simon. But uh, hmm. I also, one of my notes was just sick puppy. So she breaks up with, uh, was it Brian? Is that what he said his name was? Or Kyle? Kyle, Kyle. I think. By calling him a sick puppy. And then he like later, he's mm-hmm. like, yeah, I didn't really like being called a sick, or how could I ever date somebody who called me a sick puppy? I think like all the men in this movie are extremely sensitive. Not, in, yeah. I don't mean that in a bad way. They're like very, um, like, I don't know. They just, they seem very, uh emotionally attuned to, yeah. to, to the women in their lives and the women are kind of like just they got a lot going on right but well, the boys kind of don't they certainly do <laughs> yes um. i also thought it was very funny um when he said he came up he comes up to her and says like uh hey coach says i might get to start um and i just thought really the <laughs> the most popular girl in school and the most and who's that image obsessed is dating a guy who doesn't even start (laughs) and he's a senior like i'm not believing that that guy is 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 king of the winter festival sorry yes very true i didn't think about that strange credulity um but he is cute i don't think he's also like short he's also shorter than like every other player on the team because he's an actor and maybe he was like kind of a name or something like you know, at the time, well, you recognize that. I mean, maybe I recognize was, him. Sure, yeah. Yeah, maybe he was cast because they're like he's big with the kids, like wild and crazy. Kids. I like he's, him. Yeah. I like. I think he's. I think he's good in the movie. I think everyone's oh, yeah. good in the movie. I, Just I talking think about Daniel Harris in particular. His, his physical type, not quite right. matching. Maybe it was like, well, you know, uh, he's a big bigger draw than some other random Canadian that they wanted to hire. I th- I think Catherine Heigl seems a little bit. Um, not very good at the beginning of the movie, mm-hmm. but when she starts playing the little sister, I think she's really good. I think there's a there's a real charm to seeing someone that tall and beautiful play innocent pretty well. Like I think she does a really good job of just of kind of of seeming like a a younger, less sure of herself person. And then I think Daniel yeah. Harris is like amazing. At both. I think yeah. she's great as like the little grungy sister. And then she does a really good job playing Catherine Heigl, I think. Yeah. It was weird too, because like that was another aspect of the movie that was better than I thought. Like they're both what well, I think they were 18 and 19, at least when this came out. So who knows? Mm-hmm. Filming maybe a little younger. But uh they uh also I'm familiar with both of those actresses, and neither of them are people that I think of as like particularly good. They're not bad, like, right? But they're just, you know. They're not usually in very demanding movies or whatever. Mm-hmm. But uh, but yeah, like there were moments where they weren't necessarily playing a character who was, you know, playing a character or whatever. Like they seemed to maybe lose some of the thread of who they were. Um, but yeah, and, and for the most part, the performances were like, uh, I guess, uh, 
not accurate, but like, uh, I don't know, careful enough where like it was mm-hmm. funny to watch Daniel Harris playing yeah. Catherine Heigl, you know, as the, as this, you know, kind of, uh, I don't know, kind of bitchy character and then, you know, vice versa. Right. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I thought they both did a pretty dang good job. And I think the movie, I mean, back to the plotting, like the, it's a, it's the opening is extremely economical. Like it's a great opening montage, I think like great music. And then, you know, seeing her get ready for the day. That's always just a fun way to open that a movie. opening I think. montage. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean that that's in a mil, that exact same things. And is in a million movies, uh, particularly from this time, probably, yeah. but it's, this is a g- good iteration of it, I think. Yeah. Um, and it establishes a lot of things really quickly that I think pay off. It's not long at all before they actually make the wish and switch bodies, but, and you've already learned enough about them to appreciate each girl's performance as the other person um, to like establish. I think also like one of the most important aspects of this movie is the costuming. Um, The costuming is clearly inspired by clueless. I think. Yeah. Um, but, oh, and I looked it up, and Parent Trap was 98, so it would have been after this. Okay. But Clueless was before this, so. Right. It seems like Clueless has probably probably got this movie made, in a way. Yeah. Um, and the costuming clear, clearly just, like, inspired by it. But, like, Clueless is one of the best costumed films of all time, I think. Not just in how how the costumes hold up as being like stylish and iconic and things that people still want to wear, but also in how they tell the story. And I think this movie, the the costumes also do a really great job of telling the story, like very quickly, you know, we have to understand how, how the Alexia character presents herself so that we can appreciate the way that her sister in her body is like kind of failing to live up to those standards. Mm-hmm. And then as the sisters grow closer, their wardrobes become similar. And even the way that, that Alexia and Haley's body dresses in her kind of like slobby clothes, like she's wearing a crop top all of a sudden, like it's not really exposing anything, but you know, even then she's like more put together. And then over time they come, closer and closer to looking like each other. And when Haley starts trying to basically prove, sorry, Alexia as Haley starts trying to prove that Haley is cute. Like she adopts certain aspects of Alexia's look, like the horrible frosted lipstick and, and all that kind of stuff. And I, I, it, it just, I think visually showing how they're coming together is, um, is really helpful. And also the look that uh, Haley wears at the end, the like red dress. Uh-huh. I modeled my eighth grade graduation look on that, <laughs> on that <laughs> outfit. Um, like I wore a red dress. I got shoes as much like hers as I could find. And I found like a hair clip that was like exactly like hers um, to wear. That's a very like iconic outfit. That's crazy. <laughs> in my life. Yeah. <laughs> We didn't have an eighth grade graduation, but uh, I probably would have modeled it after like Pee Wee Herman or something. Did you not? Did you not? Because <laughs> did was seven, seven and eight separate for you? So the way ours worked was K through five and then six through eight and then fresh, you know, nine through 12. Wow. All the more reason to have a graduation. You were there for three years. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, maybe we had something. I remember we had like a farewell concert for the band, um, mm-hmm. but I don't remember 
a graduation. We had Were a fifth in the graduation band? ceremony. I do remember that, mostly because we have it on tape. But uh, anyhow. Were you in the band? Yeah, I was in band. What'd you play? Six, yeah, all three years of middle school. Uh, I played trumpet, and then I played euphonium, but treble clef. Cool. So I, I never learned bass clef. Did you not know that? I don't think so. Now that you say trumpet, I re- kind of maybe remember that, but I don't remember hmm. euphonium. That's funny. Because yeah, I guess we didn't start talking until high school, and I had quit band soft- after sophomore year. So I think it was I was a junior. Huh. Yep. I also know karate. So does Lee. I don't really know it that well. I did do taekwondo <laughs> though for a few years. I told my I friends, like my high school friends, that when I mean we were probably in college or maybe even after, and like all of them were shocked. They're like, "I didn't know you did karate." I was like, "Yeah, I did karate <laughs> when I was a kid." Um, I think people are just always surprised that I've done anything ever. So mm-hmm. um, Lee said, Lee said to me the other night, he said something like, "What were we watching?" It might have been we might have been watching She's the Man, and he said something like, oh, "I spent many years." Uh, doing that or something about something with soccer and I was and I just said no you didn't and he said yeah I did I said you only played soccer for like one season I thought and he's like no at least two and I'm like really like very hard to imagine we playing soccer him just yeah sticking <laughs> with a team sport is very difficult for me <laughs> yeah. to imagine yeah now my mom <laughs> always made us do a sport or more or at least one or more uh and then band was my opt-out I got to as long as I was doing one activity in high school. I don't know. I don't know why we're podcasting this. Um, but uh, but yeah. Activities were fun in high school, which reminds me of the film. Wait, were they? Uh, no. No, I uh, I quit band after sophomore year because the band instructor was a maniac. And then I did debate. And actually, debate was fun. I love debate. Mm-hmm. It made me the man I am today. <laughs> the, yeah. Uh, but no, debate was really fun. And actually what was best for me with debate was that, uh, I started as a junior, but I was a novice debater. And so I was debating like <laughs> people who were like fresh out of eighth grade and, uh, I got like medals and trophies and stuff. Awesome. It was cool. I mean, there were also some upperclassmen novices, but for the most part, it was like, I would say probably like 80% freshmen. Um, so it was cool. fun. My main activity was in high school was newspaper. And that was also fun. I wish that I had done newspaper, but I was actually I was like intimidated from doing newspaper because so many attractive girls did newspaper in my school. (laughs) And I was like, I couldn't go to that class. Like I wouldn't be able to do anything. Um, But yeah, I do wish I'd done newspaper. It would have been fun. It was fun. It was cool. And it actually turned out to be relevant to my life. Yeah. Got you in publishing business. Yeah. (laughs) Um, are you just talking about how you stand on the street corner selling newspapers to, to earn a little extra money now? Yeah. Yeah. No, but like if what I, when I say like when people are like, when I was applying to jobs and they're like, uh, do you know InDesign? I was like, yeah, because I, that's what we used when I was yeah. 17. <laughs> so <laughs> technically, yes. <laughs> how much could it have changed? <laughs> um, all right. Back to the film folks. Um, let's see here. I'll just read through some notes. Uh, the theme music. Uh, it sounded like the Boy Meets World theme. Agreed. They kind of played it a lot. I said, uh, Catherine Heigl is hella hot in this. Uh, the whole movie is Nisoc City, which was great. I mm-hmm. enjoyed that. Mm-hmm. Um, Sick Puppy. That was funny. Oh, 
the uh, dominatrix outfit and the dance in the cafeteria. <laughs> yeah, um, that's how you know this was not conceived as a Disney Channel original movie. I really wondered. Like, that's actually when I looked up uh, Daniel Harris. I was like, how old was she in this? Um, so she would have been 19. So that's why I discovered, oh, she was actually older than Katherine Heigl uh, in the film. But uh, but yeah, pretty. I was surprised when that happened. Um I think the, the what pulls me out of that moment is the idea that that was Katherine Heigl's outfit. And yeah, not, well, she said it was a Halloween costume. Yes. However, there is no way that those two women can wear the same clothes. That's, that's exactly what Sarah said. We should have brought her in here for this. We should have. Yeah, there's there. That's a little bit weird although yeah. who i guess who gives a shit right um but it was funny it made me laugh when she's at the table and she's mad and she like i think it's when katherine heigl's like why don't you just ever heard of walking because she's gonna like leave and drive her car illegally um because she's not she doesn't actually have a license right. um and then she likes Dan, uh, daniel harris like snaps her whip yeah. on the on the table and her <laughs> dad's like jesus and that was funny and i also think a good little runner throughout the movie is that like the, there's kind of that their parents are like nuts because they're therapists. And so they have all these weird ideas about like, we should just let them do whatever the hell they want yeah. and hope for the best. <laughs> and then when they go see the principal about their daughter's like crazy behavior for this past week or however long it's been, the, the principal comes out and being like, Oh my God, those poor girls. <laughs> Like that's very that's very funny. Yeah. Because <laughs> it is like obviously insane for them to let their daughter go to school in a dominatrix Halloween <laughs> costume. <laughs> and oh, I told Lee too. So like when when I think it's that same. She's wearing that outfit. And she walks into class late, and you know everyone's like whooping and hollering about uh, whooping. I think it's whooping. Whooping and hollering, hooting and ho- hooting and hollering. Maybe? And hollering anyway. yeah. <laughs> she goes and sits down and then the teacher comes over and <laughs> he says something like, you're, you're, you're late or blah, blah, blah. Or like, what's going Like he's concerned because she's like one of his best students and he doesn't like confront her in front of everyone. He's like leans down and like whispers to her like, what's going on? And she goes like, so? And I like gasped. <laughs> Like just the way that she talks to him in that scene when he asks her like a question about her test and she's like, um, you're the teacher. Shouldn't you know that? I was just like, oh, oh, like I'm going to have a heart attack hearing <laughs> someone talk to their teacher this way. Um, it's very the the way that they take each other down. It, particularly Daniel Harris is pretty uh harsh (laughs) it's definitely they set up a good the you know the fun in games definitely is like difficult to crawl back from um which is also part of what makes it a good movie i think yeah yeah well well, with regard to the parents that was another thing i had noted i forgot was uh i guess maybe it seems contrived but i thought it was kind of clever like because they established that they're not always like that these parents and then Mm -hmm. they're just like you know what the more we push, the more they push back. Like, let's just kind of have this. So like they're almost having their like subplot experiment mm-hmm. of just like 
because uh, otherwise it would be like anything going on in these two girls lives for this week would make like the parents would immediately be like that's it you're staying home you yeah know, like none of this would be allowed so i think it well especially the, like the movie daniel up. harris's character faints in class like she's faking mm-hmm. but she faints and then the next day she's a different person so i think if as a parent yeah. or a teacher i'd be like i think she's had like an aneurysm <laughs> or she has a tumor pressing on her frontal lobe or yeah. something like <laughs> something's wrong here <laughs> Maybe they cut out the the school nurse subplot or something. Right. Um, But uh, yeah, I liked it. I guess that's really the majority of my notes. Did you? Yeah. I think that the parents then like take it as they think that their efforts are a success because the girls start. I kind of miss that thing in movies, which I feel like is not there as much. Um, But I again, like I sort of attribute it to like it's like a savage Steve Holland kind of thing where the parents in a teen movie either are nuts or just completely stupid. Like they don't, they, you know, they, they they actually are completely ineffectual and, but, you know, maybe think that like maybe attribute their child's success to like their parenting efforts. But Actually, it's like some completely other thing. That's actually like a pretty common thing, I think, in movies from this time. That was really mm. kind of more fun than like parents having to be like good at parenting, I guess. Right. Um, but I suppose that evolution kind of mirrors the way that parenting has changed, like in our lifetimes. I think that, like, I heard some statistic the other day that, um, that like moms and dads today spend more time with their children than stay-at-home moms in like the 70s spent with their children weird like moms whose like job was to like stay home raise kids take care of the house didn't see their kids as much as two working parents do today what is i don't understand like what do you mean not because of corona but just in general or uh, yeah generally speaking because of because of what we view parenting as like it was this was in the context of a conversation about um why people want a living room and a family room. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, some of the answers were things like, well, people just, you know, want more. We have huge houses now or whatever the hell the case is. But one person's explanation was that I think fam, like, you know, in the er previous generations, kids would hang out in a bonus room or in their own rooms. They'd be outside playing. But now like families just want to spend more time, more like family time together. It's like at night you're like, what are we all going to watch on TV instead of everybody going to like their separate corner of their house to do their thing or like everyone having a phone, their own phone in their room or, you know, whatever. It's like everyone has to, even though now everyone has a phone, obviously, but like that families and then someone offered that statistic, I guess. Interesting. As proof of it huh so it's it's maybe more of like a i feel like that's a good thing but i think so too i wonder i think it's right i wonder if as far as like discipline goes if it creates the issue of parents being too much of a friend and not as much of a parent like like what we i don't know parent but not as much of a i don't know disciplinarian which sounds bad maybe there's maybe there's not as much of a need for discipline because i know like both my parents say like particularly my mom but would talk about like from the time she was like five years old until she like left the house she was like not at her house yeah she was just like she woke up and she was outside like all day yeah (laughs) or at school or whatever um or walking to the store by herself down a dirt road (laughs) when she was like five years old yeah Uh, and 
I think it's really um like I think kids still play outside, but I think maybe parents are more interested in spending time. It's just parent it's not even more interested. It's just like parenting is there's a different uh paradigm for parenting. Yeah. I think. Interesting. Now. Well, good. That seems like that's a good thing to be spending more time, yeah. really. But uh... <clears throat> I, I think there were pretty um, some things I think that were that I picked up on more in this watch than I probably did when I was a kid watching this movie. Um, particularly for Katherine Heigl's character, th- there are some real horrifying. <laughs> realizations that she has to make a lot more than I think Danielle Harris's character has to make. Like for instance, it would indeed be uh, unsettling to see a hickey on the neck of someone occupying your body. (laughs) And it's from a man you had broken up with uh, the previous day. And then later in the movie, something I definitely never really put together when she apparently assumed that her little sister had sex with her boyfriend <laughs> in her body. Yeah. When she's never, neither of them have ever had sex before. And I, and watching that, I was like, wow, I, I wonder that she wasn't more upset. Like the, in that, in the light of that, the little like strip tease she does for the entire school seems almost not enough, almost like, too humorous a response to the idea that like can you i mean that's like cronenbergian almost (laughs) yeah no i didn't even i didn't think about that that much but yeah uh like they have that kind of confrontation in the kitchen i think is when she talks about she's still a virgin is that in the kitchen Mm -hmm. towards the 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 bathroom the bathroom bathroom so it's at the end of the sabotage day Mm -hmm. okay um yeah but uh yeah yeah and i I wonder if like the versions you saw on disney channel maybe didn't because i really can't picture disney channel airing they did did they okay i remember that (laughs) i remember that part of the movie okay i just don't think i think i even knew what they it's not i think i knew that what they meant by like i'm still a virgin i'm i'm sure i mean i probably knew what that meant as a kid i just don't think how truly horrible <laughs> that would be yeah <laughs> was like i couldn't i couldn't conceive of that um of the idea of thinking that like your sister as you had sex for the <laughs> for the your body's first time having sex <laughs> with the guy you love yeah like, yikes um and i like that about body swaps is that there are always just under the surface this like psychosexual subtext yes that's so that like was, truly unsettling yeah like i thought about that a lot like all day today um and that was kind of I, I wrote like a chunk and i hate to just like read through a thing but yes what i the way i worded just part of it was that uh body sw- body swap movies always have a sexual elephant in the room um but i feel like if they carefully worked around it like if they tried to hash it out and make it very uh appropriate for audiences or like something mm-hmm. that twitter would not get riled up about um it would be so boring like i feel like that's right. the thrill of a body swap movie even if they mm-hmm. never really address it that much is like not not the the, the soul thrill but like the uh 
part of like what makes it like higher stakes or like interesting mm-hmm. is it's just like you're actually inhabiting like another person's body and like there's just something it's there's not something sexual about that but there's something there's such potential for that that it's just like yeah it's weird and i think i think i almost think the filmmakers understand that because that seems potentially to play into the decision to make their parents psychotherapists or whatever yeah you know that that is kind of they're they're at least bringing the psychological effects of this magic trick kind of to the surface with that choice. And I mean, the first thing that Haley does when she's in Alexia's body is like grab her breasts, right? which on the one hand, fully understandable that like as a younger girl, you would be like, you know, Oh, I have boobs. Now I'm going to be popular. You know, <laughs> like I'm hot now. Yeah. Um, by the same token, those are her sister's breasts. Right. <laughs> so it's but like... <laughs> Kit, those are her sister's hands. So who's Ex- you're you know, right? What's going you're on? Right. Here? <laughs> it's yeah, but there's always yeah. I think I think that's true that there's always that kind of and you know and I I on this watch I felt the whole I spent a lot of the movie feeling very bad for Donnie Jeffcoat not only because he gets broken up with so many times. Um, you know, as as kind of a pawn in this crazy game yeah. between these two sisters, but also like, what are the implications of what happens with him? That like right. he falls in love with his girl because I mean, I think there's a little bit of he is he might love Catherine Heigl, but he's like you, you know he's not ready to say it. Yeah, but at the you know another interpretation I think is that he falls in love with Catherine Heigl. Because she's somebody different. Yeah. Because she's because Haley Haley as Catherine Heigl is much goofier. She doesn't wear makeup. She's not concerned with how she looks. She's just kind of like a sillier, sweeter person. And like that's who, you know, I don't know if the movie is suggesting that like that's also who Alexia is under the surface, but it doesn't, I don't see why. So so Donnie falls in love with his girlfriend when she's somebody else. And then at the same time, he has this kind of, you know, Haley's a bit of a fucking creep when it comes to him. And she's like obsessed with him. And she's like super excited to get to kiss him and like make out with him. And he's like sucking on her neck and stuff. And it's like, that's not your girlfriend. (laughs) Like, that's very, I mean, poor Donnie. Yeah, it's weird. Are I there... also always wondered why they were playing classical music during that scene. Yeah, that car. was weird. Like her Jeep, she was like blasting classical music, which for the to most part make out with her boyfriend seemed odd. What's that? But also, yeah, it, it seems odd for Catherine Heigl, but it's also not the kind of music that Haley listens to. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. So maybe they just couldn't get the rights to anything. <laughs> maybe Donnie Jeffcoat loves loves it. Um, so I'll mm-hmm, go ahead. Are there body swap movies that are not for kids? Because everything I'm thinking of is pretty much for kids. Uh, can you think of any that are like for not just for adults because they're like inappropriate, but can you think of are anything? Are you saying body like, swap movies? What's that? Did you say body swap movies that yeah. are not for kids? Yeah. Yes. There's the one with um, Jason Bateman, right? Or wait, do they body swap? Oh, yeah. Or is this their jizz gets mixed up? I can't remember. Double Trouble or something like that? The, the, the change up? Oh, maybe I'm talking about a different movie. Wait, no. Ryan Reynolds and Jason Bateman. Right? Yeah. 
I have to look now. No, it's a body swap. Okay. Yeah, that's a definitely for adults. Okay. I haven't seen it. I just, from the trailers, it's obvious it's for adults. And I do think it has something to do with jizz, but maybe I'm wrong about that. Maybe that's a different Jason Bateman <laughs> movie. Um, let's see. Because I, I, I guess what I was, where I was maybe leading with that question was like, you know, as a kid, I think it's simpler because you don't have the sexual feelings that you'll have later, typically. Uh, mm-hmm. Like, you, you know, you have crushes and stuff, but it's just different. Um, but I wonder if it's easier to have that in a story for kids and then kind of it. Because this movie brushes against those things, but it kind of glosses over, like you're saying, Rape. like, well, not, <laughs> I mean, because I, I don't even know, like, but anyways, like, that's not going to be a hang up for uh, children in the audience because it's, mm-hmm. yeah, and I think even as a kid, though, there's just something so fascinating and you kind of just, you just think like, yeah, like I could switch into another person's body. Like, sure. But I think like, your life is simple enough. Like, I feel like as an adult, I mean, yes, we have the parent trap is like a classic example, not parent trap. Um, Freaky Friday. Freaky Friday, yes. Um, As like a classic example of like what the parent envies about the child's life is the simplicity of it. Um, But I think to adult switching, it's like probably your lives both kind of suck anyway. (laughs) Like your life is is so complicated by that point that it's like, but um, Freaky just came out and that's not for kids. Though oh yeah, it, it's kind of for teens, maybe. Right, the Vince Vaughn one. Yeah. Should they swap in that? I can't. I remember I saw a trailer, but. Yeah, they swap in that. Okay. Vince Vaughn and the teen girl swap. He's like a serial killer, and she's a, a cheerleader, and they switch bodies. Um. I mean, thirteen going on thirty. Right. Oh, and like big is f- big. Yeah, yeah, like big. Big actually does go into the sexual right i mean big's not a body swap though let's say yeah true he doesn't swap with anybody he just becomes big like 17 again same thing he becomes young right reverse big um oh there's a movie with david duchovny called the secret um where his wife's body goes into his daughter's body and then guess what he wants to smash his daughter um so but that is a movie that I think kind of proves the is the exception that proves the rule that like if you make this for an adults, the whole thing becomes sexual basically. Because right. I think Freaky kind of probably has a I would guess has probably a similar thing where it's more willing to delve into um, those weird sexual things right. i would say the hot chick i'm guessing probably does the same oh, thing shit. i forgot about the hot chick that movie was terrible yeah they're also all bad like the secret is notoriously bad the hot chick is bad i don't know how freaky did in terms of i think people i mean it, i don't think it like set the world on fire plus i mean it came out last year so nobody saw i think my dad likes the change up but i'm pretty sure it has a poor rotten tomatoes score not again not that rotten tomatoes is the be all end all but you know it can speak to a movie's reputation, I guess. Sure. Um, yeah. Hmm. Um, it would be maybe something to try is a body swap movie with adults that somehow works around that. But I don't know. I don't think you could. Maybe that's all there is to being an adult. 
I, I think it would be, yeah, I think it, yeah, <laughs> I guess someday we'll find out. Um, yeah. <laughs> I think it would be hard. Um, cause I'm trying to think like you could have like two moms switch places, like one mom, but then I still feel like the movie would inevitably delve into like, you know, the men in their lives. Like yeah. even if they're both single, it's going to probably in some way be about, I think it's also interesting to think about how much body swap movies are about hotness. Yeah. For the, the hot chick, part. for example. Right. Like the reason, the main, the thing that often, I mean, it's off, it, it, there are often sexual reasons for wanting this, for wishing for the swap, I think, in right. the first place. Like are there any... one of the characters, like in this movie even, like she wants her sister's boyfriend. <laughs> Right. Yeah, I mean, that's what spurs the wish in the first place. Right. Are there any that you can think of where they... Is Trading Places one where they he gets to be rich? Yes. So, yeah, I was thinking maybe if there was a body swap that was more preoccupied with, like, wealth or class, that could be interesting. Right. Yeah, but that's not magic. Okay. See, and I don't remember. I, like I know an, I watched it's, that. It's... I think I watched that with you guys in Chicago. Like, we watched it when we really? were... Really? Yeah, didn't we watch Trading Places? No, we watched Forty Eight Hours, different Eddie Murphy movie, and I, that I did not like at all. Forty Eight Hours. Okay, I didn't even know I had seen Forty Eight Hours. The one with Nick Nolte. Okay. Yes, because it's because it's not memorable. Yeah. I mean, Jumanji, the new Jumanjis are. Oh yeah. Body swap movies. And they kind of seen those brush against sexual stuff, but they don't really like go into it. Can you can you tell me? Well, that movie, those movies actually play with some real dangerous territory because, like, in one of them. Jack Black plays a black guy and in a different one he yeah. plays like a teen a teen girl. Like there's all kinds of like and apparently the, I mean people love those movies. Um I have the avoided watching them because I've avoided watching them because I'm afraid there's going to be a big old spider in it. Hmm. Can you I can't remember. Fuck. I've seen the so the first one, which is the second one. So like you know, right. Jumanji, Welcome to the Jungle or something. Welcome to the Jungle. I've mm -hmm. seen that one. I don't remember. We just watched it around Christmas. I don't remember any big spider type okay. of stuff, but I'm not going to remember that kind of stuff. I did remember there's a spider in Love and Monsters. So if you, did you see Love and Monsters? I watched that movie. Oh, yes. you did. That's right. And okay. I think I just fast forwarded through that part, but it's like a giant spider. Right. So that's not as scary as a big, a realistically big spider. <laughs> right. I'm not I'm not going to love a giant spider either, but it's definitely less scary than like a hand sized spider. Right. If you will. Yeah, that um, makes sense. Um, but yeah, the a great point. I hadn't even really thought about that. That's a um, very um, original take on the body swap movie. Yeah, I would say. It is. And I really I do like Welcome to the Jungle. I haven't seen the third slash second Jumanji yet, but Sarah liked it. So it's on our list. But, uh, I mean, I don't know. Maybe people wouldn't even consider Jumanji technically. Because, I mean, who are they swapping? Do the consciousnesses see, I think, of the video game characters go into the other people? I no. Don't know. I, th I think okay. it wouldn't be like like if you have a very strict definition of body swap, it wouldn't be. But I think it does toy with a lot of that. Like, Because in the first one, there's a girl who, mm -hmm. obviously she's cute, but like she's not the cutest girl in school. And so she doesn't feel cute. And so then she plays... Uh, she gets in the character of like uh, Karen, Gillen. Karen Gillen. And um, so then she gets to feel what it's like to be like hot and confident and stuff. And so kind of like mm -hmm. that's 
you know, body swap territory. She, they um, should have put her in the rock if she wanted to know what it was like to be hot and confident. Yeah. <laughs> uh, who is? Yeah, you should see that. Really, you should see it. I'm pretty sure. Okay. Yeah, ask Maybe Andrew for spiders because he always remembers everything. Um, I think I think it's interesting though that the consistent characters in those movies are the avatars or the consistent actors. Like that's a very interesting concept. Yeah. That that the people who stick because the because the second movie is all old guys, right? It's like Danny DeVito and see, yeah, yeah, uh, I haven't seen it. I think you're right. Though. I think Danny DeVito's in it. And I I think that's really interesting that like that I don't I can't think of another movie that really does that or another franchise certainly where. The cons- the characters are different guys in each movie played by the same people. Yeah. And the actual, like, characters are different people that they're impersonating for the yeah. whole movie. And the main characters, the, the, the actors really have no consistent character that they're playing other than, like, obviously Dwayne Johnson looks like we know that as a stock character in a video game. We know... Jack Black is like a nerdy scientist guy. Um, but yeah, that's really, I should watch that just for the originality of the idea, I guess. It's pretty good. It was like Sarah really wanted to see it, the second one. Or, so yeah, Welcome to the Jungle. And uh, I, I saw the trailer and I was like, Ugh, I don't know. Like I do, I like Kevin Hart. I like Jack Black. Uh, I like The Rock. But uh, yeah, we went and it was just like a very pleasant surprise. And yeah, watched the trailer a couple times. It's a good movie. Solid. Is the cobbler a body swap? I mean, that's an, that's like also deals with very weird sexual things right. in that movie, although not in as shallow a manner as you would expect from an Adam Sandler film. Right. Oh gosh, there's got to be an Adam Sandler body swap movie. Did have we purged it from our memory? I guess Jack and Jill. Wait, no, Jack and Jill. It's not, not a body swap though. Right. No, I think the cobbler is the closest. There's, I think, a fake movie in happy people where he's a baby that I don't know if that's just Adam Sandler playing a baby or if he's like an adult who became a baby or something. Right. In that I forgot movie. About that. You know, it's funny. I don't remember any of those movies. <laughs> I remember them. <laughs> yeah. It's like we watched every single one and I don't, I, I it remember. Is very, it's, it's very hard to tell like bedtime stories from click and from like that, the, all the magical ones kind of blend together. Yeah, I'm surprised he doesn't have just like a straight up body swap movie. That is very surprising. I should write one for him. I bet I bet Netflix would make it. Yeah, even the Netflix he hasn't. That is I wonder if he has some kind of aversion Hmm. to that, because that just seems like, you know, first thought you'd have at Happy Madison. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Anyhow, back to Wish Upon a Star. Um, So, yeah, I. uh, I said, I like how the movie feels pretty free and imaginative. We kind of talked about that. Just how, yeah, that was kind of my whole like spiel. Body swap movies always have that kind of sexual thing. Uh, But I feel like this movie does a good job with it. Like nothing. uh, I don't know. They don't get too gross or I don't know. They don't go too weird with anything. Uh, Yeah. I felt like, so like there's like, I feel like movies today, and it, maybe it's just because I'm so like I'm old now or whatever, but like they feel kind of restrained. Uh, Jumanji being an exception, like Jumanji felt like they were just making a movie that was kind of fun and free, but like I feel like a lot of people, I don't know if it's deliberate or they're just a different type of person than me, but they don't watch movies with any kind of understanding that they are 
uh, like fiction. And so like they get upset when something in the movie happens that's not um, Mm -hmm. like what they want to happen in real life. And so like I feel like that has really I don't know if that's a majority of people, but I think it's a very loud minority of people. And like I feel like that's sort of become like this sort of there feels like this like this self-censorship to a lot of movies now but i think like with wish upon a star mm -hmm. i liked sorry yeah i'll be quick so with wish upon a star i feel like when i was watching it i was like man this is like fun and it feels like loose and i miss that and i feel like wish upon a star and movies like of the olden days were better able to explore things like you were saying like like this movie actually means something to you about sisterhood and like uh I don't know. It just like, I feel like, so if you don't allow fiction to kind of be in its own realm, like you mm-hmm. really limit like what's good about it. And so I was like, I don't know. I wrote this out more, more coherently, but I won't go through it. But basically just like, I, I don't even think that's like a nineties thing. I just think we're not quite there right now. And who knows the pendulum could swing and we could mm-hmm. get, we could start to acknowledge fiction again. Um, but, uh, but I really like that about watching this was like, it can take you, it can kind of take your mind into these weird places that explore, like they don't explore like social issues, but just things, other things that are relevant to being alive, like, um, and not even necessarily in a huge or uh, uh, super intelligent way or something. But uh, anyways, that was mostly my spiel. I think it is, it has a lot to do with the nature of internet criticism, which yeah. like Lindsay Ellis and Patrick H. Willems have done like really good video essays patrick h willens has one about um about plot holes that's really good about how things that people say are plot holes are not plot holes um and also the real plot holes don't matter nine times out of ten yeah and then uh lindsey ellis has the one about the uh the i think it's i'm forgetting the specific topic but she talks about it a lot in um her beauty and the beast video, which I've watched like 10 times because I'm endlessly kind of furious with that movie. Um, and that really what the Disney live action remake is, is addressing just a list of problems that like Buzzfeed to generate content will like make a list about like, problems with beauty and the beast like bell has stockholm syndrome no she doesn't right um where'd the magic mirror come from or how come no disney princesses have moms and like you know all of this stuff and then that movie like it's like well here here's backstory for the mom um here's here's how it's okay that like like people would say shit like that the why why would the all of the servants and stuff in the castle be punished along with the, you know, the beast, the prince, if he was the one who was an arrogant asshole, like, then why are all these people condemned as well? And it's like, the actual answer is like, it's a fucking fairy tale and it's a, (laughs) a witch put a curse on them. And, but, but the movie tries to answer that and say like, well, they, like they actually have, I think Emma Thompson explain like, we enabled him to be a jerk. And it's like, you're his fucking servant. In what <laughs> world would you ever be responsible? And also, who gives a shit? And it's like, that movie sucks for a number of reasons. But a large part of it is that it exists to try to justify the 
90s cartoon, except yeah. the 90s cartoon is widely recognized as a classic <laughs> and beloved, and there isn't anything wrong with it. Like, but that's a, that's a huge part, you know, of why of what Disney, I think, is doing with these remakes, aside from it's almost like to justify the purely mercenary pursuits of that company. They're like, well, we're actually making uh, we're actually fixing these movies. We're making them more diverse and representative. We're going to put out press releases about the gay characters we have in these movies when look. Who knows? Maybe having LeFou be uh <laughs> openly gay <laughs> means a lot to like to gay people out there um i can't really speak for them i can i i know uh i don't think that the gay people i know give a flying fuck but my point is always like lefou was gay like there's a way in which like kind of like you're saying i think movies you are in control of what the movie is yeah. <laughs> like you, the viewer, you get to decide. That doesn't mean that it's not nice to have like explicit, I think, representation sometimes. But Disney doesn't get to say whether or not LeFou's gay. You do. Yeah. Like, and LeFou is f fucking gay in the original as well, <laughs> I say. So anyway, I don't know. That's kind of off on a thread. But I do think like... Viewers will. But one of the Patrick H. Williams videos I watched, it might have been the plot holes one, I don't remember, but it made a really good point, which I think is the point you're making as well. That when people complain about, say, um, what's like a comic book movie people had a big problem with? With um, Justice I don't League? know. When people, sure, when people say like, uh, I don't know, I haven't seen Justice League. We, sure, like when people are like, we need to see. Justice League sucked and we need to see like Zack Snyder's actual vision for this. The studio ruined Justice League. This movie's not good. Or when people critique like say Captain Captain Marvel for being shitty for for having a for being like too feminist or whatever when really it's just like a fucking bad movie or whatever kind of like critiques people give for those movies. Like his point was like, yeah. But you could like if you if you think like Suicide Squad is bad, you could watch like, I don't know, a million other movies about a right. team of criminals working together. <laughs> like, <laughs> like it doesn't have like the thing that that you happen to like doesn't have to be the subject of the most perfect movie because there's a million other fucking like movies that are good. So like if you if you, oh here's this is a better example. Like if you don't like uh the last Jedi or the rise of Skywalker, like watch a movie that's about that exact same thing, but good. It just doesn't have star Wars guys in it. Yeah. Like that's fine. <laughs> like why not, you know? Um, but like everyone's just like that, like, you know, people, and I understand people who like love, who love Batman, the character. And then they go see, a, a, you know, see Ben Affleck's Batman. And they're like, Holy shit. Like Batman doesn't kill people. That sucks. Like that's, I think that's fine, whatever. I feel that way about Harry Potter in a way, except my reaction isn't like they must remake Harry Potter. My reaction is like, oh, I'll read the books. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, the movies, how could the movies possibly capture everything that I love about the books? Like, yeah, I don't really like those movies, but I still have my mind and the books and I'll, I don't know. People just want everything to be 
everything. Right. And so as a result, they're nothing. Right. See, and that's, yeah. On specifically that note, I don't get how that doesn't make you make your own thing. Like, like it just has to have right. Batman in it and have everything else that I want Batman to be. But I can't make my own, you know, superhero who's very similar to Batman. Or like, I can't, you know, like, mm-hmm. like these, these complaints don't seem like they come from creative people. <laughs> and like, uh, it just feels like a, a type of consumer culture that, uh, and we're t- definitely talking about something different than Wish Upon a Star at this <laughs> point, but just talking about like the Disney movies and like the, the Lindsay Ellis and uh, Patrick Willem stuff. Like I, I, you know, you see, I guess, yeah, it's just like online discourse uh, just must be a huge part of the experience for the audience. And then just like, it's like, yeah, like why aren't you, if, if, you hated the new Batman so much. Like, why did you go see the next one after that? Or, you know, or, you know, right. uh, and but on I top also, of that, why mm-hmm. aren't you writing your own short story? Or, I mean, like fan fiction, like, you know, you've, you've done fan fiction and stuff. Yeah. It's like, that seems like a perfect way to make a really great Harry Potter story that's, you know, hits all your boxes. Well, and that's, that's the thing. That's part of why, like, as much as like fan fiction is a shameful, disgusting thing. That's like 99.9% <laughs> very weird werewolf sexual stuff right um that chills me to the bone but Kit, um you're not mad that warner brothers did not turn your did not like this they're not even asking for like an adaptation of their fan fiction you're not mad that warner brothers didn't independently create your fan fiction like what a weird thing that if you were like I, exactly but that's what i'm saying that's where yeah. i'm going with this like as hor- as 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 disgusting as fan fiction writers are i think they're a good sort of people that take something they really love, see, you know, and use it to like jumpstart their own creativity or right. see like, oh, I think this would be an interesting story to stick into the middle of this. And people can do, you know, there's there there are people who write things that like have to be, you know, canon, have to be in line with the with with with, you know, the the TV show or the books or whatever they're writing about. And then there are people who are like. I'm going to do a fucking crazy crossover or I'm going to like gender swap these characters or whatever. And there aren't, I mean, look, there's, there are the same kind of policing figures in the fan fiction community who try to go around and say like, it's, you know, this is wrong or this is, this is right. But like I, as, as much as I, as much as it may disturb me, for instance, that, (laughs) the number of people with like rape fantasies in the world is like, that makes me somewhat uncomfortable, but I don't think they should be muzzled. I don't, I think that like good go like lady who, who wants to imagine being raped by a werewolf, write your fucking story. That's great. Like, but don't, yeah, I guess don't campaign (laughs) for like for Fenrir Greyback to like, rape Hermione and that's what's so that that is I think what's I think you may have a point on the one hand that it's like mostly people with no concept of creativity or personal expression who are like demanding this kind of thing but I also think that the conglomerates who make movie who make movies now are reaping what they've sown which is they have their marketing technique is to drive one or two projects a year <laughs> and make people think 
that's the only thing that matters. Like, I guarantee you, like, Disney's marketing philosophy is, like, Star Wars and the movies we used to make when we made art are the only good things. And Marvel, I guess. Like, and it it is part of why I appreciate... I appreciate Mar- I appreciate Marvel Studios for their ability to achieve a goal that I don't think any other film studio has ever had before. And a goal that I see as artistic, honestly. I see as reflecting the culture, the media of comics and trying to translate it in a sense into movies. And mm-hmm. I think that that has major drawbacks for for the films that come out but they're also able to achieve something with their films that no other movies and no other like franchise has ever been able to achieve because mm-hmm. of the because of the way they're trying to replicate that idea but i do think that the marketing for those films and just the way that the movie industry is going makes people think somewhat understandably that those are the only movies that exist or matter right and that if a Spider-Man movie is bad, then, the, then, well, what else can I watch? Right. I yeah. guess the next Spider-Man movie. Right. Great. Now I got to wait <laughs> two years for the next Spider-Man reboot. Yeah, yeah. Even though obviously like the people, I think the filmmakers making a Spider-Man movie are ref, are tr- attempting to reference all kinds of things that aren't Spider-Man related. Yeah. You know, they're trying to make a John Hughes movie or whatever. Right. Um, yeah. But Disney, like, I don't think wants people to know that there are John Hughes movies <laughs> at the same time, you know? Other than um, Home Alone, which they now have the rights to as a, a Fox uh, property. Great, great. Wait, that was John um, Hughes, right? He wrote it. He wrote it. Okay, he did. Columbus directed. Anyhow, yeah. yeah. Well, a little off the topic, but uh, good points. <laughs> uh, well, I think I have exhausted my Wish Upon a Star notes. Do you have uh, any little stragglers, or do you have more notes you want to go through? I have some little stragglers. Okay. Um, I had a keychain, as I think we all did, like the one that Alexis has, Alexia has on her car keys. That's just like big uh, ceramic letters saying friends. Um, <laughs> mine had a softball on it. Um, <laughs> and I didn't have any keys, so it was probably on my backpack or something. Uh-huh. Uh, <laughs> Let's see. Um, I was noting that the Jeep is apparently the only choice for comedic teen driving because I think they also drive a Jeep in Clueless. Um, Let's see. Um, I think Donnie Jeffcoat is wrong about what love is. He says at the end, he says close to the end, like the third time he's being broken up with or he's breaking up with her or something. He says like, forget what I said earlier about like loving you or whatever. And he's like, love is, I think he says love is reciprocated or something like that. Oh yeah. Like, Mm -hmm. no, it's not. What the fuck? You're (laughs) fucked up. Johnny Jeffcoat. That's not true. Um, the last day that Catherine Heigl comes down the stairs, she's wearing that like orange and gray sweater. And I just was like, who, who would even make that sweater? Yeah. That's it looked like a fucking sweater. bag sewn onto a regular sweater. Yeah. It looked like a vet, <laughs> like a shitty vest on top of a shitty <laughs> yeah. sweater. It was horrible. <laughs> yeah. Um, and yeah, as I implied earlier, I actually think it's a pretty good reveal at the end when, when uh, Alexia says, I also wish to be you. And yeah. it kind of does, I mean, if you're a dumb kid anyway, it kind of does like make you go back and watch the the, the movie. Like it kind of rewards a rewatch at that. I don't know. For, for, a, for a movie like this, that's pretty like, that's pretty clever. 
Yeah. Um, to have a twist like that built in. And then, yeah, I cried at the end as usual. <laughs> That's it. It's a good movie. It's, ve- I think it's very, it's very good. I felt, I mean, I always feel this way. I almost never go back and review media that I liked as a kid and go, Ooh, that sucks. Like I like all the same music I liked as a child. Yeah. And I like most of the movies I liked as a kid, but rewatching this was like very rewarding to see like, no, the like emotion and like to me, like what it says about sisters, like even though I had I never had that adversarial relationship with my sister, it was still just like very uh sweet to see them um the unique ways that they could support each other in life. Yeah. It was really cool. Yeah. And I guess I haven't mentioned this entire episode, but I also have a sister. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, but you're a boy and a girl, it's different. Yeah, it's definitely different. <laughs> but the movie did make me think like like, cause my sister's, she's been overseas now for like two and a half years. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, I mean, she absolutely has seen this movie. I don't know. I, I didn't, I don't know <laughs> that, that, but it's like, she watched Disney channel all the time. So I'm sure she has seen this movie. Um, but yeah, there was something in like, I don't know. I had a thought, it was kind of a half thought, <clears throat> but it was kind of like, this movie was nothing like what my life was like really i mean you know like mm-hmm. the, it, you know it wasn't like way off necessarily like i went to a similar high school i guess but like uh there was something about like the family dynamic of how they were all family but then the kids were kind of united and these parents were kind of united in a certain way mm-hmm. and it just kind of made me think like you know because i have one sibling that was it uh and so it was kind of like i don't know it felt familiar like in that way and then Mm -hmm. also just like with regard to my sister and our relationship we've always gotten along very well as far as i know um and uh yeah like you kind of if you have a sibling maybe it's different if you have multiple siblings i don't know i think Um, it might be yeah okay because yeah i feel like sarah's a little different but i just feel like there is a level and maybe some people who just have one sibling don't have this i know a lot of people don't get along with their sibling but like there is a level of like trust and knowing a person and like, mm-hmm. just like, I don't, I, I will never have that with anybody else in my life. Just because like we grew up together, you know, there's a three-year difference, yeah. but like, as long as I've been conscious, she has been there. I mean, as long as I've been like, you know, uh, as long as I have memory that she, she's been there. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I didn't cry at the end, but I definitely was like thinking about like my, my sister and like, I that think kind of thing. it's like concentrated maybe. I mean, I don't know. It's so hard. I didn't have multiple siblings, so I probably can't understand. There's like no hope of me ever really understanding like what Lee's life was like, right. and nor of him understanding mine in that regard. Yeah. Cause it's so like formative, but I do think maybe it's like, it kind of concentrates that. Cause like, I'm, cause I, cause Lee, pro- I know Lee has that with his brothers where like, they do think very similar, even though they're all very different, they think similarly about certain things and he yeah. can kind of assume that they're going to like, you know, last night I think they were all on the phone together trying to solve an IT problem because like, they all like have an interest in, in, I don't know, computers and developing and uh, all that kind of shit. Um, but I think when you just have one sibling, those relationships are like simplified and the feelings are like concentrated. So the thing is like, like, I think my, me and my sister were both pretty close to our parents, like compared to some other kids, but there's still a way in which we were living completely separate lives, you know? Yeah. Like, like my parents knew nothing about what was even, my parents knew more than most, 
but still nothing in a way <laughs> about like the world that Sydney and I shared. Yeah. Um, and pro and vice versa, I'm sure. Um, and the, those kinds, I feel like this movie kind of captures those divisions where like the parents think one thing's going on and they're just like completely fucking off base. Yeah. And meanwhile, the two kids are like in cahoots with each other and, right. and know what's like actually going on. Yeah. Um, and I think that, and yeah, I feel the same way where it's like, there's someone on earth who will think almost exactly like me about almost anything. Yeah. <laughs> and like, Sydney and I are very different, but still like when I, you know, on the rare occasion that we talk about something like to do with like politics or, or something that's like, you know, drama that's going on in our friend group or whatever, it's like as different as we are. And as different as maybe our approaches would be to a situation, like our analysis of the situation is virtually identical almost yeah. all the time. <laughs> and that's like a very comforting <laughs> thing to have, to know that like somebody is going to kind of have the same reaction to something as yeah. you have. Yeah, I agree. Well, should we do a Tom Cruise minute? <laughs> oh, yeah. God. Oh, wait. I don't know. Should we? Should that be reserved for when Andrew is around? Maybe it should. I don't have anything, so maybe it maybe. It okay, should. let's 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 leave that for our, for our regular episodes. Okay. I think that would hurt him. No offense to his <laughs> majesty. <laughs> By which I mean Tom Cruise, not Andrew. Mm-hmm. Um, but all right. Well, that is it. Uh, thanks for joining us tonight, folks. Please wait, join us. Wait, Mike. Wait. <laughs> What are we going to watch next week? You did it. Uh, um, well, thank you, Kit. I had almost, uh, without Andrew here to remind me, I had almost just finished the episode. Um, so please join us next week uh, for another Blair True joint. Uh, same director. I don't know if you saw if you knew that. What? Uh, 2000's no. Phantom of the Megaplex is what we're watching next. So. so, yeah, same director. Although, unfortunately, the third one of our triple is a different director. What is the third one going to be? Oh, Scream Team. Yeah, I mean, we could do something else. That's just what came. Oh, it works for me. To mind because I was watching a Cat Dennings movie and I was like, "Oh, that's the one she was in." Okay, yeah, that works um, for me. There was another. Um, there was another. Well, we can talk about it later. Anyway, so yeah, next week, Phantom of the Megaplex, Disney. We Channel need to original. make sure that that can be found. I have a copy. I'll send it to you. Okay, great. Actually, there, I'll, yeah, I'll send you a link to it. Um, okay. All right. Uh, slow motion triple feature was recorded in. Oh, I didn't put in a thing. It was recorded in a uh, pleasant suburban high school in the mid nineties. Uh, thanks to our producer, Lee, the man in the booth who makes us sound great. If you'd like to contact us, please do so at slow motion, triple at gmail.com. Yeah.